This is a show for grown-ups. And they say bad words. And they say bad words. Say final warning. Final warning. Hello and welcome to another deep episode of the Pod of Blunders. I'm your host, Nate Magnuski, and with me as usual is my buddy, Richard, the... Man, I, I should have thought about this earlier. I'm kind of looking around myself for inspiration now. The seltzer water and uh, chapstick Sullivan. How did you know my <laughs> nickname? Did Have you been through my high school yearbook? Yes, all one page of it. Man, you know I didn't graduate high school. What are we doing today? What What is the subject of our episode? According to what you told me via text, we are creating a five-room dungeon. So, right. I've been using the five-room dungeon method for a while now because, frankly, I'm lazy. And this is a really fast way to get something prepared that will occupy your players for two to four hours, depending on how many rooms you put in your five-room dungeon. And, of course, you're sitting there going, five? It's it's just a five-room dungeon. And I say, no, you can use this to make any number of rooms in your dungeon. It says five-room dungeon. That's the base block of it. But much like Legos, you can assemble them in all variety of ways. This idea of a five-room dungeon came from a gentleman named John Four. I get his newsletter every week. I think he comes out. It says John Four Roleplay. So I always think of John Four Play or Johnny Five. It's not his fault. It's my fault for being a weirdo. Anyway, if you sign up for his newsletter, he will send you a PDF copy of his guide to five-room dungeons. So if you want your own copy of this, head over to... Uh, roleplayingtips.com so let's get into this richard i sent you this pdf earlier right you did all 317 pages of it did you have to read all 317 pages to figure this part out though no uh most of that is actually examples and sample dungeons which is awesome too because like that's i think the actual rules for the five-arm dungeon are maybe 20 pages then there's some other extraneous rules he's included. And then from page 62 to 317 or whatever it ends up being is all sample dungeons. It's really great. So you don't even have to, you can be even lazier than I am, if that's even possible, and just use someone else's stuff to, to, uh, to run your campaign. But we can get right into this. Why the five-room dungeon system? So the five-room dungeon really helps you understand what key components you need to have in your dungeon to make them exciting, to make them worth playing. Because it's not just, it's not enough to put, you know, a, a crypt in front of your players, have them go through, slay a handful of skeletons, grab some gold, and then come back out. Like that gets so boring after a while. The Five Room Dungeons idea, it, it forces you to think about, okay, where are the entrances to this dungeon? What kind of guardians would be in place to, to slow your players down or to stop them? What puzzles can you include? What's the boss like? How do you show what boss to, they, they can expect throughout the dungeon by, by kind of teasing that ahead of time? And how do you put those little teaser clues in there? If you can do all that, you're going to make a dungeon that's memorable. And the system that they've given you for this makes it extremely fast and easy to make a dungeon like that. So Richard, you and I are going to make a dungeon from scratch. We haven't talked about this, right? This is completely extemporaneous. It's off the cuff entirely. Completely. Except I made you read this book <laughs> so you could contribute. <laughs> so Other than 317 pages of reading over the last four hours, I am completely un- underprepared. Beautiful. 
So the five rooms in your five-room dungeon. You have the entrance and the guardian, a puzzle or role-playing challenge, the trick or setback, the climax, and lastly, the reward, revelation, and or plot twist. Now, you don't have to have these in a linear format. It's not like one room has to lead directly to the next because you don't want to put your dungeon like a railroad. You don't want to have your players have to go through certain things to get to the end boss. That makes a terrible dungeon. But with this, you can you can add side rooms, but your dungeon in total should include all of these five areas. Maybe multiple instances of them if you want to really expand your dungeon beyond the base five-room format. So I think we should start, Richard, by picking a theme. Okay. Anything jump out at you? Like We can go basic with this, like, oh, it's an ice dungeon, or it's a... It's in a volcano or something like that. Or we can go outside of a dungeon too. We could say this is a, a haunted house or this is a spaceship. We're at an abandoned haunted summer camp. So are we going to do this as a modern game? Or is uh, this like ye olde summer camp? <laughs> I would say the 80s. So we can't have the excuse of cell phones. Excellent. So first and foremost, we need to talk about our entrance and the guardian. Whenever I think of an entrance to a summer camp, I think of like Camp Anawana, like a big wooden sign over the actual where the buses first drive up and drop all the kids off. Mm-hmm. We could do that. We could do like the entrance, like the welcome lodge where the parents meet the kids. We could really do any of these things. What are you feeling right now? So where would our party enter from? Yeah. What's, so what's the first if thing they're out roaming the forest and they'd come across the camp as a dungeon? Not even this as a dungeon, but they would find just this special location that we're going to create. The summer camp. They stumble upon it somehow. And it could even be as campers. It, it could be our parties exploring this as ghost hunters. It, up to you. Uh, maybe in the woods we'll see signs, you know, Camp Anawa. What did you say, Anawa? Uh, I said Anawana, which is from the show Salute Your Shorts. Okay. And then I don't want to use... <laughs> camp... Uh... Camp Chippewa. No, that was the name of the one from Adam's Family Values. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see signs that say like Camp Anawana, five miles, two miles, and we'll follow the signs there. Has, something has to challenge the players before they get into the dungeon proper. This, we can consider this entrance, the walk up to it, the getting there to be our first room. So we should have some kind of challenge. We should have a guardian as well. Or the guardian could be the challenge. Well, if we're talking haunted summer camps, mm-hmm. we have to have a crazy Ralph type. So yep. I want to say the, the Harbinger of Doom will be our first character or challenge. So let's say that the, the bus has to slam on his brakes to avoid hitting some strange woodman, uh, some weird naturalist living out in the woods by themselves, a crazed hermit. Mm-hmm. And he's the guardian. And he, of course, delivers the, the warning, oh, turn back now or the gray ghost will eat you or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And then, of course, they go, oh, get out of here, you crazy old man. And then the bus won't start. And the bus driver says, well, I guess we have to go on foot. You guys go ahead. I'll stay back here to fix the bus. Then, of course, we see the players walk off and the camera sees the man getting, or fixing the bus and then getting murdered. Well, no, that, that wouldn't happen if this was a horror movie, Nathan. What? Yes, it would. What do you think no. is going to happen? Well, no, they'd come back to the bus later only to find him murdered. Oh, yeah. Someone would be like, oh, I forgot my uh, Walkman. They'd run back and then the bus would be covered in blood. No, no. Have you seen a horror movie in your life? What are you talking about? 
they'd be fleeing whatever oh, great challenge. They'd finally get to the bus and say, bus driver, take us out of here, only to reveal him, you know, this throat slip behind the wheel. Oh, he looks here sleeping behind the wheel and they shake him and then his head would fall off his shoulders and roll into the ground. See, now I feel like you've seen a horror movie. In your life. <laughs> I think Mimer is just as valid, but fine. So that's, that's room one. That's the entrance. The Guardian, he's not really a challenge per se, I guess, you know. Well, maybe. Well, okay. If we're taking a bus into the dungeon uh, or the camp, maybe he's he set up traps in the road. He set up uh, nail spikes. He's hmm. maybe chopped a tree down, blocking the path because he doesn't want people in the camp. Because he knows he knows they're going to die if they go there. Or is he the bad guy? I kind of like it as like the really obvious red herring. Where like, oh, he's yeah. obviously a crazy servant of the thing, but no, he's he's trying to stop you. Right. I think that's a good room one. So room two is a puzzle or role-playing challenge. The only rule for this room is that it can't be solved through brute force. There's nothing to kill here. There's nothing to fight here. They have to figure something out. And the idea behind that is with the guardian room, a strong character is going to be able to slay the guardian or force his way past the bars, something like that. Break down the door. They've had their time to shine already. With this role-playing challenge, you have your charismatic player, your face, able to do something here and, and get a little bit of the limelight. Or your intelligent character can figure out the puzzle fast. So you want to give opportunities for each one of your characters to be the hero in different rooms and scenes. That's just good DMing. So what kind of puzzle can we put in Camp Anawana? Maybe our party is trying to get into the kitchen slash uh, storage facility, but it's locked. Yeah. So the first room they come up on is the dining hall and they want to get inside to find somebody, but all the, all the doors are locked. Right. Mm -hmm. And they look into the windows and do they see anything weird in the windows? Oh, what if they look in there and they see a bunch of like shadowy ghostly figures of former campers sitting there having a food fight. Something goes wrong in the middle of the food fight and they look scared and they all start running and they're pounding against the doors. The doors won't open. And then you see like, I don't know, the, the ghosts start disappearing. Like something is slashing through them until whatever is slashing through them gets to the door and then it stops and resets itself. And this keeps happening. And the puzzle is the players have to figure out how they can stop this recurring haunting because once they do that, they'll be able to get into the, the room. See, I was just thinking they had to like go to the, can the counselor's cabin to get the key, but if you want to get all spooky with it <laughs> they could do that too my worry is that you know knowing my players they're just going to throw someone through a window or a log or whatever well you can't by the rule of brute force we know the rule but the players don't know that rule well you make the windows really high up really small and uh board it up you could do it boarded up i mean this place is abandoned it's not currently in use i kind of like my ghost to the campers idea okay we can discuss what the trigger is and how to stop it. But here's my big DMing secret. I make the problem. I don't think of what the solution is going to be ahead of time. Because as soon as I have my mindset on a solution, I'm going to tend to ignore what the players come up with if it's not that exact scenario that I had planned. And that just makes for frustrated players and DMs. So, hey, here's this wild situation. As soon as a player suggests something that I think is, wow, that's a really good idea. And I hadn't considered that. Yep, that's correct. You 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 solved my ghostly dining hall puzzle. 
you know? Am I letting you two behind the curtain now, Richard? Do you feel like all of our games have been lies up to this point now? Should we move on to room three, the trick or setback? Let's. All right. So the trick or setback. This room, as the name suggests, is supposed to delay your players. It's supposed to make them feel like they've accomplished something, but pull the rug out from underneath them or just to use up all the resources so they have a harder time at the end of the day. Because really, this is the room before the encounter with the, with the boss. You think it'd be room five, but that room five is the reveal. I think before we can do this room, we should discuss what our big bad guy is. I'm going to say it's uh, a necromancing sorcerer that is bringing all the dead counselors back to life. So we have to get to him while fighting through a horde of counselor zombies. This is the 80s. Mm-hmm. And there's a sorcerer necromancer. So like, was he the old like head counselor or something and wanted more power? I want to know the background of this necro counselor. He was a heavy metal listening, black magic practicing student mm-hmm, mm-hmm. who uh, brought some sacred evil text to camp one summer, thinking it would be a goof, took on a job as working in the kitchen, accidentally poisoned the 200 people at the camp, killed them all, felt really terrible about it, and tried bringing them back to life. One thing led to another. Now he's an evil sorcerer. One thing led to another. I hate when that happens, you know? You're sitting there, mind your own business, kill a couple hundred kids, and next thing you know, you're an evil sorcerer. Like, that's not fair. Where's the equity? So the trick or setback. All right. What if... I like your idea of, of having to fight through a thousand counselors and whatnot. That's, that's fun. Because it's, it's almost like with that amount of zombies, it makes it more of almost an environmental challenge than it does in actual combat. It's like trying to swim against a tide, you know? Yeah, they're, they're of a hive mind, I would imagine. Yeah, you're not going to be able to kill 200 of them, but you can, you can get through them or figure out a way around them. Mm-hmm. And either that's a literal setback where they, you get them to chase you next to a cliff and then you jump out of the way and they all go over there like lemmings. But something that uses up a lot of your maybe ammunition if you have a gun because there's so many of them or uses up a lot of your resources. I'd like that. And this, maybe you're getting close to figuring out what happened. You've, you've gotten into the dining hall. You figured out that it was the evil cook that killed everybody and became a whatever. And you find out that he's actually holed up in the head counselor's cabin or in a nearby cave where he's made his lair. Where, if I was an evil sorcerer ex-cook. Hey, you're one of those things. No, you know what? Maybe his, his, sorcer- his po- source of power is his cauldron, which is actually like a 10-gallon pot on top of his stove in the camp kitchen i love it that's great so really as soon as you get in there you find him and well he summons them and then runs away i would say we'd bust down the door hey now we found you and he says you're too late and he like throws the last ingredient into his potion he fucks off and then a horde of zombies start breaking through the sides of the door we've fought through this horde of zombies we've overcome them somehow and now we're pursuing this sorcerer because we know that he's up to some no good stuff that brings us to our big battle final conflict i want us to have some kind of huge cool setting piece for this like i want us to be somewhere really special with a lot of things that you can interact with what do you think you have the lake the lake's well, i'm trying to, i'm trying to keep it out of a cave in a traditional dungeon sense you're right to, you're right to show that it doesn't have to be a dungeon yeah i like that that's smart 
again, if this was a movie, I think the final scene would be in the, the dance hall. It's like the dance hall slash gymnasium. So we'd have yeah. access to all the, you know, maybe there's a stage where they'd have like plays they'd put on. There's musical instruments. There's sports equipment. Mm-hmm. What if this guy had a crush on one of the counselors? He couldn't get hired as a counselor, but he got hired as a cook instead. Okay. He was trying to play a prank on, on her boyfriend to make him sick so he'd have to leave so he'd like move in on you know on the rebound and he ended up killing all the kids because he sucks at cooking and he sucks at being a, a prankster an amateur sorcerer yeah and then he became an amateur sorcerer or he became a professional sorcerer and the dance hall might be the final thing we discover like oh he's there because that's where he has her remains and he's trying to resurrect her to be his ghoul bride see i would say she's the sub boss oh she's the mini boss all right He's already re- resurrected her. Oh, he was. She would have been the first person that he would have resurrected. Oh. Now is she sentient, or she's just like a, a really powerful zombie? She is just very powerful, and he's controlling her from the stage. I like it. So you go in there. There's a disco ball spinning. There's cheap '80s love music playing in the background. Some cool stadium ballads, and then she lumbers out in her torn dress. He's on the stage. I'm seeing this. And so really the, the climax big battle is between the players and her or the players. Well, and no, this, her this would just the, be the sub boss. I already have an idea what the, okay. We don't have to stick with a five room bench. We can expand it to six. We can combine these things. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, I think you have to get through a, a mini boss. So you were able to defeat this by finding some weakness of hers. Maybe it's picture of her former lover and it snaps her out of it. Wouldn't they have some type of weakness to, Anything holy or, or anything like that? Yeah. Or it could just be like, hey, we have a bunch of holy water because we had someone with us who knows how to do that. And, and we splashed could, her. We, we could bless the lake. Yeah, and then you got to push her in there. Either way, we've overcome our mini boss. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, Richard. You ever spend time in a Mega Mart parking lot? Who hasn't? Well, what if I told you you could have that exact same experience in the comfort of your own home? That doesn't sound... That's right. The amazing Starshine Scribbles wants our listeners to know about their new game. This game takes place entirely in a Megamart parking lot. In just seven pages, players and the GM have everything they need to create characters and generate scenes to play out their wildest parking lot-based dreams, including, but not limited to, trying to change a tire while being harried by pterodactyls, summoning an otherworldly being under the noses of watchful security guards, or buying some groceries out of the trunk of a sentient car. So come on down to starshinescribbles.itch.io and pick up your own copy of this manager special today. And don't forget your coupons. Oh, and bring your own bags. It's better for the environment. And so we're moving on to our big boss now, or do we want to put another couple rooms in there before we get to the big boss? Well, I feel like, are there things that we could have discovered or found that didn't involve fighting bosses? I feel like we're at the bosses awfully quick, aren't we? It's a five-room dungeon. I guess that's so kind the, of the whole point, isn't it? Yeah, the way this is set up, it's really fast. But I agree with you that there there should be other rooms in this. Otherwise, it's like, hey, beat, 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 done with the boss. Right. We should we should go to the, maybe not the kitchen, because that's obviously his domain. But like, there's plenty of spots, you know, the cabins. We could search the cabins. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe that's how you find out about his, like, oh, where, where did he live? Oh, he lived in his van. We go to his van. And that's when you find out his name and his plans and all that from his journal. Or 
you realize there was a hunting range, like, you know, for they could do the archery and, and rifleman's courses as campers. You can go get equipment there. You can load up on things. You know what I mean? Right. What other clues do you think would be helpful? Maybe he can't be defeated unless you find his black book or something like that. Or you have to do a counter. Like, it's not enough to kill him. You have to do a counter curse or a blessing to make all the souls of the campers finally rest. I, I think you would need his spell book. Because I, I don't think he's a particularly good sorcerer. And without that book, he's nothing. Like, no matter how much he studies it, he just can't figure most of the stuff out because he's, he's a dummy. He's essentially got like black magic for dummies. Like He's not reading any high-level stuff. <laughs> I like it. This is like a 101 course book he's, right. he's stumbled upon. Yeah, he's, no. he's just a, you know, a punk high school kid that thinks he's real cool because he like listens to metal and you know does amateur sorcery stuff. And he got in over his head. Would he keep his black book with him, or do you have to figure out where his layer is first? I think he's. I think he's careless. We'd we'd find the book. To your point, you know, maybe in his van that he lived in, maybe under the bunk of his cabin. Yeah. So what if when we kill the big zombie lady, if she says, you know, look in the van, that's where he keeps his book or whatever, you know? Because mm-hmm. we have to figure out why we'd be looking in the van. Because I think we can have the players explore the entirety of the camp complex, but that's going to get pretty old. Well, yeah. But maybe she doesn't say the van specifically, but yeah, you know, the book is the key, you know, he yeah, keeps it unattended key. and then dies. Because if you say the van, you're going to go straight to the van. It's behind the Pegasus. And you're like, what the hell? And then he's got one of those really sweet fan murals with a Pegasus on it. Oh, with like a Pegasus. It looks like the cover of like a Molly Hatchet album. Exactly. <laughs> and that's when you're like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense now. And so we go in there, we get the book. I think if we use the book, we can sap him of most of his powers and make the final conflict like a lot easier. Or is it that it's still going to be hard no matter what? But this is actually, this is a, the real ending to the game is if we can find that book and then put these camp souls to rest. Yeah, because I want to fight a giant monster. A giant monster. What kind of monster do you want to fight that you could summon? Is it like a big de- like a devil? No, I, like- want to f- I want to fight like a Voltron of zombies. I was going to say like a big amalgamation of zombies. I like a Voltron better. That's way more descriptive. Like a Voltron or a Devastator. Yeah, you know. Or a Megatron. What? I just want to say things too, man. I don't know. So we have the book. We're pursuing this guy to his final area, which will not be a cave. Is it back in the kitchen? The seat of power? Or is it like out near a mass grave site where he buried all the counselors? Yes, it's the a mass grave site right by the lake. Because I want our Voltron zombie mm-hmm. to rise from the lake. But we just blessed the lake. Would the blessing stop the Voltron zombie from rising from the lake? Oh, we blessed the lake, didn't we? We did bless the lake. Okay, well, he could just walk through some trees and you could hear the trees. And then they'd all fall. Here's there's two reasons I love this. One, it's incredibly cinematic. And it's a memorable fight. You're not going to forget fighting a Voltron of zombies. And two, it's a fight. But it also gives us, gives us an alternative combat objective. Because it's not just about fighting the thing. It's also about someone has to read the book and figure out how the hell this is going to work and how to reverse this spell. You're going to have some of the party fighting the Voltron zombie, some of the party protecting the person studying the book, and one person at least studying the book to figure out how to reverse this. Right. So it gives everyone like a chance to be a star in their own way. And it's not just like, okay, hit the second hit points until the hit points go away and you're done. I like that a lot. So, all right. So say everything goes well. Um, the person has cracked the code. They read the thing backwards and the Voltron zombie falls apart. Also, I think it'd be cool if you do so much damage to it, then a certain number, like 1d4 zombies drop off 
but that arm actually just falls apart and now it's you know five separate easy to kill but still five separate zombies right because even though they're easy to kill you still have to take a turn to kill them right so it's, it's less damage you're doing to the main bad guy because whenever you have a fight with one big bad guy if there's nothing else to soak up some hit points or distract the players it's going to be over so damn fast well, I'm thinking a monster like that, if that was the case, you wouldn't want to do as much damage. You'd want to either distract or in some way incapacitate until you had enough turns to get your spell done. I can see that too. Yeah, absolutely. So like, can we knock over a bunch of picnic tables in front of it to slow it down as it's chasing us while we're running around or whatever the hell, starting fires? Because the more damage you do, the more he's going to multiply. Right. And you, you'd find that out in a couple of turns. Like every time we hit him, we have to fight three more things. It sucks. Do you still have to fight the sorcerer or do the souls rise up and drag him to hell? We'd call his mom and she'd have to come and pick him up. <laughs> He's been a very naughty boy. <laughs> no, I, I think he is in some way cursed by his book and it's just too much knowledge for him to, to handle. And so what, he like splits in half and explodes? Uh, maybe he's sucked into the book. That brings us to the final area, I think. This is room five, the reward, the revelation, the plot twist. So I don't really know that there's a reward besides living. That's a big one. Eh, well, <laughs> I always think it's more fun for the revelation or a plot twist. Like maybe it turns out that these players were not new people to the camp. Maybe they were campers back then too. And they were. this is just their spirits going through this over and over again. This is finally when they are able to put this to rest and get their own rest. Or... They figure out that this is one of many books that says, like, oh, you know, at the very end, it's like, thank you for reading Black Magic for Dummies. If you enjoy this, please see our advanced course. And then it's like, oh, boy, here we go again. And they can go on continued adventures to find the other books. Yeah, so maybe in the back of the, the book, in the book pocket from the library, and maybe we have to track down everybody else that's checked out this book. And we learn about, you know, the horrible things associated with, you know, where this book has been in each library. Yeah, like we start researching the names on the, not the internet, but somewhere in the new, in, in the Dewey Decimal System. Right. We go talk to our friendly librarian and she lays us a microfiche of these names and we look through them and we realize like all these tragedies have happened around this book and now we can set them right like a really messed up Scooby-Doo. Well, we could also have a, as some type of reward, we could have like a dance party in the rec yeah. hall. Pizza party. Yep. There'll be some kind of reward. Maybe we get a sweet van and that's our, like, that's our version of the mystery machine. That's how we tour around solving mysteries. You don't want to be in that van. <laughs> we'd, we'd have to vacuum it out. Maybe bless it again. Like we did the lake. When the vans are rocking, don't come and knock and We'll take that sticker off the back. So this ended up being more of a six room dungeon because we had the mini boss. I mean, that was what, 25 minutes? Uh, yeah, it was pretty quick. Real time. But it shows you how fast you can come. You can get these things together. And I'd be fine running a game with this. I don't think it would be difficult to entertain a group of people for a couple hours using what we just created now. And now that yeah. we have the base skeleton down, we can go through and we can start refining things if you want to. Like we can say, okay, what are the clues that can lead you to the van? Or what is the mystery that, you know, of the repeating haunt in the dining hall? How can you solve it? What are some options you think the players might come up with? You can start describing the different areas. Like, okay, what is in his kitchen? What does his big pot look like? What was the secret ingredient he was throwing in last? Why did he have to wait until you were there to do it? Because you came up with a skeleton of this dungeon so fast, now you have the time, and for me anyway, the energy, to want to go back through and just 
really refine everything. One thing you can do to add a little more flavor to your five room dungeon and to make it less linear is to really go whole hog into describing the traditional places between the rooms. So we had talked about, oh, we're, you know, first we're at the dining room, or first we're at the bus, then we're at the dining hall, then we're here, then we're there. It seemed very, you know, straightforward, but you don't just hop from scene to scene. You have to go from scene to scene. And the traveling between those places can be many adventures in themselves. Hey, Richard, I know you did your homework in red page 58. The subtle gap you should close for better storytelling. Yeah, I read that. What about it? So this is where I was saying before with the transitions and the importance of it. Some of your rooms that you have for your five-room dungeon can be transitions. But you can also separate your rooms with these as well and make them more flavorful. Our first transition really was from the bus to the dining hall. And you were saying that this madman had set up all these weird traps and what have you to stop people from getting there. And one of his traps disabled the bus. That was great. We could also lean into that more too and have this guy be more of a menace. Maybe the entire time they're trying to get to the dining hall, they are being harried by this guy. You know, maybe he's throwing rocks. Right. They'd have to go through a series of traps through the woods on foot over obstacles, pits, bear traps, blow darts. And maybe as, you know, at the very end before they're able to get there, they have a confrontation with the hermit himself. He's able to say like, you need to leave. Like, why can't you just take the hint? This place is an unholy place. And he, he kind of reveals a little bit of the plot to you. Thus, you know, reconfirming his, his role as the harbinger of things to come. No, but then I think at some point he has to fall into one of his own traps. Yeah. Like he's, he's walking backwards like, doom, doom will come to you. And he'll slip and get impaled on a big old spike. Right. Because otherwise he'd have to come in and save the day at the end. Right. You don't want the, the deus ex machina save at the end. So he needs to go horribly and brutally. And so then we were in the dining hall. We figured that part out. We crack the code. We get inside. We go back through everything. We find him in the kitchen. He realizes we're there and he does whatever the hell he's doing. Right? Right. You're too late. Throws a thing. I guess there's not really a transition there except for walking through the dining hall. The dining hall itself can be a traditional space. We could say that there's some dead bodies there. We could just talk about the weird rotten moldering food. There's a way to play with this place and this space and I'm not thinking of it where we can start kind of hinting at what's to come. But we had the ghosts, but maybe there's like two chained up zombies outside of his kitchen. So now we go, oh, this guy has the control over the undead. That's going to give us a little bit of a foreshadow to what's to come later on with the Voltron zombie and his, his lady zombie. Well, I think the whole door would be sealed off with a giant black pentagram and other Ooh. type of uh, satanic markings. Yeah. That's exactly the kind of stuff I'm talking about. That's a great idea. Where we're, we're foreshadowing to the player, like, here's what's happening. Here's some subtle and not so subtle stuff that we can do to clue them in to what they can expect. And then we have this, the place between, he's going to flee here. We're going to fight through a minor horde of zombies on our way to what? We're going to what? Find him at the, da- the dance hall next? So then we have to get out and chase him, but I'm assuming the horde will either follow us. We'll have to fight our way through the horde to the dance hall. Well, no, because if we're fighting the prom queen or the camp queen girl, whatever, mm-hmm. um, isn't she the one that gets pushed into the lake? So that would be outdoors. Right. But we have, but she's at the dance hall, which is not the cafeteria. 
No, I thought he was in the dance hall. I thought she was too. No? I did we did we or did we not push her into the lake? We're going to. Well, how do we get her out of the dance hall and into the lake? We're not there yet. We haven't chased him to the dance hall. So originally we, we disturbed him in the the cafeteria, right? Right. And then and his... said you're too late, threw his shit in the pot. And then we had a, a horde of zombies we had to fight through. <laughs> you don't remember that? No, I do. But I'm, I'm thinking it would make more sense. The horde of zombies are in the cafeteria. They're a distraction. We get through the horde in the cafeteria. Oh, okay. Because they're scarier indoors because we're walled in with them. Right? All right. So once we get outside, then we see him. I'm thinking of this like a video game, right? Sure. Oh, we got to him and he says, ah, no, you'll never catch me. That's when he goes to the dance hall, leaving us outside with the woman. And that's when we can bless the lake and throw her over the dock. Oh, so I thought she was in the dance hall and we had to like lure her out to the dock. That'd be too much work. <laughs> and then that's when we, after we defeat her, then we can say, okay, now we just have to get in there and give him a what for. And so then we get inside. He's in the dance hall. And then he summons the horde of zombies outside the dance hall. No, it's a big dance hall. Oh, okay. Because originally you said he wanted it to come out of the lake. I did, but we've boiled the lake. Oh, we wanted to come out of the trees. Right. That's why I thought we were fighting her in the dance hall with him him emceeing on the stage. I thought the finale took place in the dance hall. Or does it take place outside? I thought the finale took place outside. Okay, easy enough. The cafeteria and the dance hall are in the same building. Okay. He, He... he runs away from his cauldron in the cafeteria. Mm-hmm. We have to fight through the cafeteria. We make it through the cafeteria to the other side of the building, which is the community center slash dance hall mm-hmm. to fight the camp queen. How would you lure a zombie? And how would we know to lure her out to the holy water lake? Maybe we're just overthinking it. Maybe. Maybe we just Maybe kill we... her by hitting her a bunch of times. Yeah, or, or we drop a stage light on her or something. Right, because she's pretty hulky, so we need something big to kill her. So we, yeah, we drop a chandelier on her, stage light, whatever. That makes sense. All right, yeah. I like that. Now I'm back on board. Yeah. Then once she's defeated, she tells us, "Look for the Pegasus or whatever." We go searching for the Pegasus. Hopefully, right. We find the cool van. We get the Book of the Dead mm-hmm. for dummies. Yep. Yeah, and then so, he's he's standing on the dock. You may have the book, but you don't have these pages. Right. Recites the spell. And then I can get my cool Voltron zombie rising from the lake. There you go. So there's a transitional period between when she says, look for the, the cool Pegasus or whatever. And we find the van in the book. I think that's a big area to explore, whether it's having them search through the cabins and whatnot. There's a way to make that fun and interesting. That's not just like, okay, you go in here. Is it here? No. Is it here? No. And that can be accomplished through really leaning into your weird details. Like, oh, this is the boys' cabin. It smells like unwashed gym shocks and cum, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it gets to be, in between all the fighting, it gets to be a fantasy of you get to pretend you're in summer camp for a couple hours. Right. Albeit it is a, couple, a weird zombie black magic summer camp, but, you know, it's reliving those memories in any way you want to do. 
So right. you can take the time and say, you know what? I never got to hit the the winning home run in a pickup baseball game when I was in summer camp. So let's go to the baseball diamond and hit a couple dingies. Do you think people dingers, first of all, <laughs> <laughs> what I say, dingies, like little boats. <laughs> we could do that too. I'm sure they have boats in the lake. Do you think people would be like, wow, we just got through all those zombie attacks and this guy's going to run away. I'm going to take my time to relive my glory days. Our group of friends. Fair. <laughs> I think they would. I, I think, all right, look, if it's me playing a video game and I know I have to defeat the final boss and they start giving me all the health packs leading up to that moment and all the extra ammo, mm-hmm. I'm not rushing to the boss. I'm like, all right, what else is here? Because I know once I go through this door and skip this cutscene, the game is going to be over after this battle one way or the other. So I want to enjoy this moment as much as possible. All right. So then we, we just lean into setting descriptions and like really figuring out what's in a summer camp and all the wonderful things we could put in there. We can add more challenges to break up if it gets kind of monotonous. And that's, this is where your wandering monster tables would come in on in your old D&D games. Where every 10 minutes of exploration, you roll on this table. And if you roll a certain number, then certain things will show up, like a zombie wolf or a hellhound or, I don't know, a lake monster, whatever, whatever, Sasquatch, some kind of camp-themed monster. And that would kind of help break up, like, okay, you're in cabin 3A. Next up is cabin 3B. Wait, there could be poisonous snakes, rats, mold spores. Oh, you can't get, you can't, black mold is a silent killer. You don't want to mess with that. Give me a Sasquatch any day. They're the loud killer. Keith, the skunk ape. Could be Keith. Gotta watch out for Keith. Although he wouldn't kill. He'd just fix up your bus and get you out of there. You're at the van. More description. So the final transition really is between the van and the conflict at the lake with the giant monster. So I think maybe we start showing how the weather is starting to turn. Like maybe the stars wink out of the sky. It gets preternaturally dark. Um, you see a big swirling vortex of necrotic energy whirling above the lake. An ill wind is picking up, thick with the smell of rot. That sort of stuff. You know, the usual stuff. Right. And then you can just kind of hurry them along to the final conflict, or you can give them more time to feff about. And then at the end, you have... I don't, there's no real transition between... Well, I guess there is. After the big conflict, after you destroy the Voltron zombie, mm-hmm. after you destroy the... Uh, black metal magician and get his book. There's no real transition that I can think of between that and the end of the game. Except you look in the back of the book and someone says, Oh, there's a library card here showing all the other names that have previously taken out this book. But I don't think there has to be a a transition there. I think that's perfectly fine. Maybe to get back to what we're saying at the very beginning, we get back to the bus and discover that Bigfoot is now driving the bus. (laughs) Like we get Why? on the bus, because it's, we get in the bus, right? We're not paying attention. Please take us out of here. And we're, you know, we get going down the road and then Bigfoot turns around and he says, where to? And we, ah, freeze roll credits. Right. And then we could either defeat the Bigfoot or maybe <laughs> it's taken so long for Bigfoot to reveal himself that we're already the next town over into some other supernatural business. I think Bigfoot's like our Scooby-Doo here. I think he's our mascot. Well, it, it's left ambiguous to the sequel. Well, right. But I'm saying in my game, Bigfoot bus driver is my new friend. And so that's it. 
now we've really fleshed this out thoroughly. It seems silly to, to put such a, a point of emphasis on transition spaces between the, the different events, but they're so useful for, for kind of extending your game, making the physical space seem more real. Without these, your game's going to lack a lot of verisimilitude. And that's extremely important for me anyway when I'm running a game is to make the place feel real, make it feel alive, make it feel lived in, or fully abandoned and creepy. And Richard, you just wrote your first RPG adventure. I, I guess I did. How do you feel? You know, I feel proud, but I didn't feel like that was a heck of a lot of work. That's kind of the joy of the five-room dungeon. Prep for me usually takes like hours and hours and hours, but it doesn't have to. Well, I mean, I, think, I would I would want to go down and and you know flush a lot of this out and and write out some possible scenarios and whatnot, but just as a pitching out ideas, mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's any different than you know than pitching a movie idea to somebody or describing some weird fever dream. It's really not as long as it makes sense and you think it'll be fun to play. It's a little linear up until the point where you get to explore the campgrounds. After that, it really it's very open. In sandboxy, like you could do, is kind of like a miniature hex crawl through the campgrounds, where you know they have to explore so many areas, and then once they explore this many areas, they get the big clue to the final MacGuffin. I think this is easily one to two nights of fun, depending on how quickly your your players get through stuff and how focused they are on the goal. I want to say first and foremost, thank you so much to John Four at RoleplayingTips.com for taking this idea of a five room dungeon and putting so much work into making it accessible for everybody. It's a system that just works and it works well. It's like playing Mad Libs with D&D. Yeah. And this, I mean, we, because we're professionals like that, we took on the added challenge of making it a non-fantasy role-playing game. Because I think if we had stuck with the idea of this is just going to be, we're going to go through a cave system. We're going to go through, you know, a crypt or something like that. It's a lot easier because there's so many more tropes you can borrow from. And I'm not saying the summer camp horror is not full of tropes. It is. And it's wonderful because of those tropes. But we did that so we could show, well, I don't know why Richard did that. Maybe he's just kind of a dick, but I'm glad we did it because it shows that you can use this system for any setting, even if it's not a limited environment like a cave or a dungeon. It's something more wide open, like a camp in the woods. It still works. And it works well. Mm. And that's all for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you again next week. If you like what you heard and want to support the show, please consider leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Want more actual plays, reviews, homebrew content? Check us out on potablunders.com and be sure to follow us on Twitter at potablunders, all one word, to keep up with our latest releases and information. We love to hear from you, so if you have any questions or concerns, you can always reach us at contact at potablunders.com. For the Pot of Blunders, I'm Nate Magnuski, and as always, may all your Ds be 12s. Also discusses. Wow, my tongue is rebelling against me. So, Richard. Yes, Nathan. What? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> so, <Yes>. Richard. <laughs> yes, Nathan. So, Richard. <laughs>